Welcome to Booked, where two guys used to tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Craig Clevenger. And I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Um, that was a little bit of a cryptic introduction, I think, right? Yeah, well, I mean, cryptic, but not cryptic at the same time. <laughs> that was... Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps one of us should explain, um, and I think I will let... They've brought me in to euthanize this particular podcast, but I'm, I'm not the bad guy here. So when you guys want to you know, explain what's going on. Um, yeah, after uh, after 10, um, I was going to say long years, but it doesn't really feel that long. Booked is finally coming um, to a close. 10, yeah. Um, and, and I'll tell you, from my own personal perspective, we can kind of dig into like the actual motivations for it. But from my personal perspective, one of the things that I was thinking over the last like year, year and a half is we have made... To, we have made it to so many incredible milestones that like, you know, part of the thing was, you know, like what, what's, what's left to tackle. We've done so much stuff. So that was kind of one of the things that I've been thinking about recently. Well, I mean, I, I guess that that's sort of a soft answer, but specifically, I know we talked about this before. Um, there is a lot of obvious territory that you just you you want to avoid entirely this is not going to be a recap best of uh highlights anything like that that just is tired you wanted to do something different but at very least your listeners want to know why because i think that intro probably pulled some plugs on people um <laughs> so more specifically there's obviously the this is not uh, the band is not breaking up there's no creative differences and you guys are like there's going to be a feud about you two on the cover of you know uh you know book expo or something like that um, Pod, so podcasting podcasting weekly is covering this uh this right. breakup right now yeah yeah it's, it's that you guys are the new mick and keith right um, I think I, I explained it when we were talking. Part of it is um, we have always been locked into a very specific formula for what we do as booked. And um, it's a formula that, it, what, what did I say? I said, we make an extremely valuable product that nobody wants is I think the rough way that I said it. Um, because it's such a, it's such a, it's a variety of, of things we do, but take the book the book reviews for example um it, because we try to focus so much on on recently released books there's a lot of people who don't want to hear someone talk about a book they haven't read and so that was almost uh, an immediate barrier to entry mm. even though um for people who have read the book the, the discussion is is a great thing so um for me one of the flaws that has not flaws but one of the limitations that's become apparent uh, early on is that what we're doing is not something that's um always easily consumable well that that begs the question then what's next but by asking that now and i, I think we'll touch on that at some point but by asking that now i'm already heading down the road of <laughs> of the obvious recap final you know very special episode of booked so like I said to you to to you guys a few minutes ago, I thought what I what I would do is address you the same way I talk to the writers for the for the workshop I host. Uh, talk to you, interview you about this particular skill 
with and with respect to your audience of, of aspirants, if I'm pronouncing that word properly. And it sounds silly because we all know how to read, but it seems to me that that reading has taken on a dimension for the two of you that would not have happened had you not had this forum, if at very least with just each other. Is that a fair assessment? I absolutely think so. And uh, at danger of recapping, um, you know, Rob and I worked together uh, 13-ish years ago, and we would turn each other on to books. And uh, Rob would read something that I recommended, and then uh, I'd be really excited because he'd be done with it, and there's things I wanted to talk about. And it's something I very rarely had. And as anybody who's listening who's a reader knows, um, unless you're reading the hot new thing that just came out, um, it's a it's a very lonely pastime. Um, and I think that you can get a lot more out of a book um, by sharing that with someone. So uh, Rob and I, th- this was completely Rob's idea uh, 10 plus years ago um, that we would get together and talk about these. So not only did I have someone to talk to about it, but I have someone who's reading a book at the same time as I am. So we're finishing up within days of one another. We sit down, we have a 40-minute conversation about the book, and I can't tell you how many times um, Rob pointed out something that maybe I missed or maybe had a different idea about or was looking at a different way. (coughs) Rob has literally changed my thoughts on a book after sitting around and discussing it for a while. So it absolutely played into how I um, look at books through talking to them, but even more so um, when, when the average person who's listening to this reads a book, they go, Oh, that book was great. That book sucked or that book was okay. That's all they had. And we put a number on it and we were able to rank books. And then over the last, um, you know, year and a half now, a far more specific way of doing it by particular aspects of the story, which really forced me to look at a book differently as I was reading it. Not that there weren't books um, that scored higher because of like a personal feel, um, even if it was lacking maybe a little bit in, uh, in the language used or the character development or something. But it really took um, a pastime into more of an active um, endeavor um, for me. And I guess I'll, I'll let Rob add on to that. <laughs> uh, all of that. I, I think that for me, one of the things that I realized is that we don't think about how like passing the experience of a book can be because we don't often take time to reflect on it and um first of all like reflection um encourages like retention so the more you talk about or think about a book the more you're going to remember it so at a, at a basic level it's um it's a stronger way of understanding the experience you just had and let's be honest there's some books that you're gonna just want to read for the you know just the fun of it and you don't care if you ever read about it again you just wanted to have that you know, kind of, you wanted to have fun for a little bit, but, um, if it is a book that's more important to you, uh, like Livia said, actually going through and discussing it and reflecting on what happened, uh, helps you. It naturally helps you appreciate the book more. Um, having someone who has gone through and read the same book and shares their, um, reactions and, and, and perceptions, will enhance I can't tell you how, how many times during the discussion we've gone, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Or I didn't think about that. Or I didn't see how those tied together. 
and um at the end either we really like the book or or maybe a flaw is exposed whatever it happens to be but you feel more secure in the fact that like you did um a good job of trying to understand what the author was trying to do um which i think is 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 yeah like a much more full experience um and the realization of that came over time i think in the beginning we were more experiential with it and less kind of thoughtful about it but i think naturally as we just kind of built the reading muscle more it happened more and more so well both of you i think it was an awesome like overview of everything uh, and we'll get into more specifics here in a bit but let's back up i know rob you're a, a hardcore stats guy so let's lay some groundwork how many episodes is will this have been now so this episode is uh episode 540 and how many books because i know you did a lot of interludes and such how many books have you together reviewed over the course of 540 episodes was it 540 sorry yeah yeah 500 yeah well technically 539 uh uh, we i think we're in the low 300 so like 305 ish i think is the total Uh, i don't know if off the top of my head but i know we broke 300 very recently so roughly 300 books over the course of 10 years how how does your how does that reading rate that habit how does that compare with your individual recreational reading before this podcast a decade ago um so mine mine went down significantly um for the for the two years before we started this podcast um i i actually kept track for the first time in my life and if i remember correctly it was 54 books in a year and then 59 the following year and then we started booked and uh <clears throat> that went down to about 30 <clears throat> because some interesting, well, some interesting things happen. Um, first, um, I, I don't like to read um, books simultaneously. I know there are people who enjoy doing that. So even if I got through a book and had three or four <laughs> days to go, I didn't want to, um, for lack of a better term, pollute my mind with another story. And then I'd have to stop, read another book for the podcast and then come back to a book. So I, my, um, off the podcast reading um, is down considerably, probably maybe 10 books a year outside of what we did together. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about earlier today is um, when we committed to reviewing a book, we committed to reviewing a book. Rob and I would agree on one. I'd go open it up and I'd read as much as I could. And then Rob would, whatever on his time frame would read it. <clears throat> In 10 years, I haven't stopped reading a book. Like if I opened a book, I had to finish it which is not something that always happened. I'd get 30 pages into a book and go, yeah, man, this really just isn't for me. And I'd close it. And I was reminded about this because I was looking at some Amazon reviews for a book. And like three of, it a row, three of them in a row said I couldn't finish this book. And I realized that's not something I've been able to say for 10 years. Like I wasn't allowed to not finish a book. <laughs> like if I started, it didn't matter how I felt about it. I had to get to 100% because this coming Sunday night, I was going to have to sit in front of this microphone. Um, and I owed it to Rob and I owed it to the listeners, um, to, to give them a, a full rounded review that didn't sound something like, let me tell you, the first hundred pages were so bad. Here's what I hated. And I didn't finish this book. So I want to follow up on that, but, but Rob, same, same question to you. Like, like what's, what's different now than 10 years ago? Yeah. 
pre podcast, I was probably clocking about 30 to 40 books a year. So, um, really not a difference in pace for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that during the podcast, I probably did not read very often books outside of what was kind of assigned for the podcast. So maybe a couple a year, um, outside of what we were reading for the podcast, Livius, I think was a little bit more prolific with, um, his off podcast reading, but yeah, probably 30 to 40 a year for me. So really the only big change for me is I did a lot of other work podcasts related with audio and things like that. <laughs> I wasn't saddled with any of that. That's where my extra reading yeah. <laughs> time came in from. Oh, I, I guess then the obvious follow-up live is, so it sounds like both of you, you know, live, you had a, you had a slight decrease in your annual, you know, rate, Rob, you pre- stayed fairly steady, but in either case, live especially from what you just said you may have read fewer books but you you absorbed them more thoroughly and dug into them more deeply absolutely um i don't skim pages which is something i would do sometimes you get into a long descriptive page i mean ah, tom clancy has a new series coming out on amazon and I was telling somebody, like, oh, I read a couple of Tom Clancy books, but he was just too fucking wordy. Like, technical descriptions of, like, a plane for four pages. And I would literally just, like, I didn't do that. I read every word of every book. And I think that's probably something, I mean, you know, at some point, I guess we, we can talk about it. We've known we've known the end was coming for a little bit, and we can address that maybe a little later. But um, I've read a book and a half since the last book I read for the podcast, and I'm still reading every word. I mean, and I'm reading it just as critically, and I'm looking for um, plot, and I'm looking for character development, and I'm looking at language, which I don't necessarily think. It's hard to go back now, you know, 10 and a half years, and remember, if I was looking at that critically, my, my guess is I probably wasn't, and, and now I for sure do. Well, I, I guess the follow-up I was going to ask you touched on it was, I, I'm one of those people you have to finish books for the podcast. You've committed to an episode, you've agreed on a book and you, and you soldier on, which isn't a problem, but I'm one of those people. If I don't, if I'm not feeling it, I don't finish it. Life is too short. So do you now have, I think one of you used the term reading muscle early on. I mean, how is it now? What would it take for you now, given the reading muscle, as you call it, you've been building for 10 years, what would it take you to put a book down aside from just simply not liking it? I mean, what is it going to take? So it sounds to me like <laughs> not liking a book, you can, you can still get through there. Um, is that going to remain, do you think? Or are you going to say life is too short? This book is really that bad. I'm putting it down. I'm going to answer first because I think I know where Livius is going to go with that. Um, but here, here's what I'd say. Um, uh, first of all, recreational reading, it, we're probably going to be more likely to, to go with books that we're prone to enjoy anyway. So um, we won't have to like, you know, choke down the gristle of a James Patterson book or anything like that, um, which is, I think, where a lot of the times where I've I've been prone to want to stop reading a book, um, that would happen. So I think first of all, like just the kind of change in the nature of my reading habits, probably that will be helpful. Um, but yeah, I think that there is the reality that some books just aren't for you. And, um, that's not a fault of, of necessarily the author. Um, but 
I think it's okay to say, yeah, I'm just not feeling this and put it down. So I, I would say that, um, for me, it's not like how challenging is the story, but how much do I just not align with what the author is going for? Um, like, it's just, you know, sometimes you meet someone's best friend and you're like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that person. Like I'm good friends with you. You're good friends with them, but I, I don't really care for that person. And it's okay. Like you don't have to be in love with everybody. So I feel like it's kind of like that for me. Yeah, I think I'd be um, a little quicker not having a commitment to to put a book down. <laughs> um, I recently was re-listening to an old episode, and I had said how much I hate books that take place um, exclusively in the outdoors. And when I mean outdoors, like a wilderness book or something that's set outside on a mountaintop, you know what I mean? So if I get 40 pages into the new insert author name here and i'm like this book is never heading indoors it's just going to be descriptions of trees and rocks and caves the whole time um i'll probably be um well i'll have the ability to put it down which will be interesting because like i said i haven't had it in a while so i guess that remains to be seen but i could see cutting books a little quicker than uh than uh and not getting all the way to the end well let, let's get ah, let's get specific then um tell me i mean can you give me an example, both of you, at a, a time where the the other person's opinion or observation or insight illuminated something in a book that you just had not seen? That you know, some understanding of the book you have is totally you can totally credit you know the other person here. I, I'd like to hear more about that. Um, I, I have one. <clears throat> Rob and I are both huge fans of Stephen Hall's The Raw Shark Texts. Mm -hmm. um, which we had both read. Um, I had read it uh, twice before we reviewed it uh, for the podcast. And uh, this was a little bit off in spoiler talk. Um, but Rob had pointed out some things that I had missed on, on two previous read-throughs that, uh, that changed my... Uh, and again, I don't, want, I don't remember specifically, but I wouldn't want to say it here for anybody who hasn't enjoyed that wonderful book. Um, and, and you know what, we, we have it on, we have it on good authority from Stephen Hall that Rob's about as close to right as, uh, as you can get. So, um, not only did he, um, change my mind about a couple of things, but some validation that one of the hardest to crack books out there, um, that he was, he was on track and I, I have a better understanding of it now. So I, all right. So I'll give you a similar, not a similar example. I'll give you a different example, but it's, it's, uh, it's more recent. Livius, was that book called Anxious People? Yes, it was. Frederick Bachman. Mm -hmm. Yep. Bachman. We read that book and I, that's one of the ones where it, it's the friend that I just don't get along with. Like it just wasn't a book that I was into. And there was, there was like, you know, like if you broke it down into like the different elements of it, it was, you know, it was a well done book. It just wasn't for me. And, um, I think that the thing that Livius changed for me was I was thinking of it as I wanted it to be more clever. They had so many opportunities to do these cool things. And then they just went with a kind of a lighter story, like a less intricate, less, you know, you know, logic based the way I, th I think the way I said it was there are some books that are like, like a paint by numbers type of thing. And there's other books that are more like a puzzle. And this was very paint by numbers. The author gave you everything that you needed to know. And there was no like surprises and not a lot of work to it, but I was looking for a puzzle and that's what disappointed me. And so when Livius talking with Livius, I kind of like realigned on the fact that I was looking for something that the author wasn't trying to do. So the disappointment was just 
more my expectation than anything that was wrong with the book. So yeah, I've had that. I've had that several times. So now I'm, I'm curious then Olivia's here just talking about how you just recoil if a book is going to spend too much time outside. Now I'd like to know the source of that. Like, are you did, you know, were you attacked by a bear camping as a child or you're just not an outdoor guy? So I am curious about your, your, separately your your aesthetics your preferences on on the types of things and when those things have aligned and when they've collided and when they've influenced each other like first of all what's your hang-up about the outside i'm, I'm curious but, but i'm gonna break in and say by the way he really enjoyed perfume by patrick suskind which takes a lot of time in like the um the french wilderness so i'm interested to that's hear about that's that. fair um i i always associate those books with um a a low amount of dialogue, which typically means a low amount of character interaction. Usually when, if I'm reading the dust jacket for something, it would say something like our protagonist, Craig Clevenger is stuck in the wilderness by himself, not knowing, you know what I mean? So it's like, there's, there's no, there might be character development for your protagonist, but there are no other characters involved. And I think what I really enjoy, and this isn't exclusive to, um, to books, but to movies and TV shows is relationships. And I find that stories that are are set that way typically are very focused on the protagonist and very little on any type of relationship other than their relationship to how they're going to um, kill a bear, skin it, and and, and fry up its meat um, for for eating. And also, I'm not much of an outdoors guy, too, but I thought that other explanation came off a a little more intelligently. So you're not a huge Jack London fan, no, Old Man no. in the Sea, Hemingway, anything like that. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I, I, have, I haven't read The Old Man in the Sea. It's like on a long list of classics I probably need to get to, but Jack London, no. I, I have the same gut reaction that I can't defend at all. I can't. I'm not going to die on the hill. But anytime a movie opens with a sweeping crane shot of the countryside that basically tells me this is going to be an epic tale. I immediately tune yeah. out. I, I want I want two people, you know, locking horns in a in a windowless room, you know. Uh, uh, but I, when I when I get the sense that something's going to be a huge epic with armies and everything, I, I I'm I'm out. I am just out. It's funny when you said that. My first thought was I didn't like The Shining either. <laughs> I, um, that takes place all indoors. Yep, it's true. Um, you know so, that it's interesting that you say that too because. Um, I also really, really like books that take place in a relatively short amount of time. So if you can give me a book that takes place in 24 hours, I'm in almost regardless <laughs> of what the premise is. Like, I want to see how you're going to give me, you know, 300 interesting pages that takes place in, in 24 hours. So I'm, I'm it's the exact opposite of the way I feel about, you know, I'll call wilderness books or, or something along those lines. So, so the, the point you made, I thought was, was really eye opening. You said that, um, if it spends too much time outside, it's going to lean on the outside and that character's struggle, and it's going to have fewer relationships, fewer interactions with characters, which is, for you, the the heart of, that's really what makes a story. I mean, Rob, where do you, what, what for you is like the killing floor for a story? That's probably the wrong, wrong way to phrase it, but what for you if it's absent is just not personally going to, going to pull you in. That's a good I mean, question. 
Um, I, I don't know if I can point to one specific thing like that. Uh, I will, I will acknowledge that, um, that one of the things that Livius point brings up, Livius's point brings up is that those type of books tend to be really dense. And so it's like more work to get through them. So, um, that obviously is, I can, I can, recognize that challenge even if i'm okay like reading about you know a guy fighting a bear or whatever <laughs> we've been saying uh yeah I, I can't i think for me um i i i fall down the quickest on i think more stylistic things um i i i fall down on if someone is being like more showy with their writing than they have the talent to support. Um, which is, I know that's, it's a kind of an asshole thing to say and I'm not a writer, so I don't know how people would take that, but um, it, I, things that would pull me out of the story because, um, and honestly, like it, it goes either way. David Duchovny in the new book he has out truly like lightning had like three opportunities to use the word atavistic and he did not. And for some reason, I was so caught up on the fact that I'm like, this is the perfect, you're spending so much time explaining what could be done in this one word that I was getting in my own mind about it. But again, that's like my flaw. That's not a flaw of his book. He he wrote it just fine. Um, but like, I think those are the things that trip me up is when um, either what they did in telling the story doesn't seem to like fit properly or it doesn't make sense. And anything that pulls me out, I think is is the biggest, um, is the most egregious thing for me. I just want to say how proud I am of Rob for not using the words purple prose in all of that. I kept oh, waiting it for was it. like four I, times. I, I was, well, that's, I was thinking it. you're just like David Duchovny. <laughs> there are at least three opportunities and you chose not to take any of them. I'm proud of you. It, it, it's funny because I, I don't think you've ever used the word, either one of you have ever used the word luminous, which is, which is a go-to word for critics or, or doing blurbs luminous is is a word that turns up a lot and joshua moore and i were talking when i interviewed him a few weeks ago and uh, about the chance to use words in a sentence and that jumping on that chance kind of makes things stand out i gave him a little bit of shit for using verisimilitude because it's not a word i i ever use um hermeneutic is one of those i've had hermeneutic i've looked up the definition a hundred times and it never sticks in my head because it's just it's i don't have any use for the word um but anyway that said so well some of all that some of the feedback that we've gotten has been that it sounds like two guys just talking about books i mean we never approached this from we're some kind of authority on books it was two average guys who like to read kind of sharing their thoughts about it um could we have dressed that up i I suppose i've listened to npr's podcast on books before and i thought god i i if we ever sound like that that'll be the time um to to cut the podcast (laughs) so we liked it because you know the the three of us and listeners don't know this had a had a pretty long conversation a couple of weeks ago on this and we talked a little bit about reading and writing and stuff and it was just three guys sitting around having a drink or or whatever and talking and that's what we always wanted book to be and and I hope that that's that's what we were able to accomplish well here here's what I would say to that i I think and I forget if I touched on this when we when we spoke uh before, but my experience in France was eye opening in in that i I learned 
for the first time that that the creative writing as a as an academic pursuit is very new and still in in its infancy there by and large it, the french approach to to writing fiction is if if the muse is moving you then get a typewriter and a library card but but it's not something you go to school for as a result when i have done events there the audience has not been full of aspiring writers and i don't say that to be dismissive because i'm one of those people that always asks what are your influences what's your what's your work habit like you know what are your work habits like not having those questions not having questions that are about the technique but people who have read it for the sake of enjoying what you've worked on the questions are much more deep and probing and i what i liked about your podcast was that you opened it you said where two guys tell you about the books they're reading you don't position yourselves as literary critics certainly not writers and i think if anything that makes your opinions more valuable because you're the ones that guys like me are writing for i don't write for other writers my friends are writers but but we don't write for each other we write for you guys and i I think that gives you more merit than than otherwise have you had pushback i mean really bad pushback as a result of not posturing or positioning yourselves as critics or people who've studied the form or anything like that i honestly no. um i have some thoughts on this and actually i was talking to someone recently who um only recently started listening to um, some of our episodes, uh, but basically said that they were surprised that we weren't, um, MFAs or had some sort of, um, formal training in, in, in this type of thing because of kind of how together our conversation is. And, and like my response to that was we've been doing this for 10 years, like over time, you just figure it out. Like, you know, I think pretty much anything, if you do it long enough, regardless of whether you were taught to do it, you, you, you get the experience and the knowledge. So, um, I don't know, maybe like 10 year ago, us talking about books probably didn't sound as like, uh, um, (laughs) please don't go back and listen to like episode (laughs) four. Yeah. Don't, don't do it, please. But yeah, I think that we've always held true to the idea that the whole focus of this is, um, the experience of reading. And that was, that was like our North star was, um, just saying, this is what it made me feel. And this is what I thought helped. And this is what I thought took away from it. And I I think there's a value in, in taking things and breaking them down into simple, but kind of universal ideas that, you know, when people are listening, they can understand where we're going with it. Um, as far as the question of like, have we gotten any pushback or like, um, you know, people saying we're not either not qualified or not doing it the way that we should. No, never. I think, um, uh, we've had a couple of authors who are personally not happy with the, the specific review, but as a, as a presence, I, I've, I can't remember anything specifically negative. I don't know about you, Livius. Um, I don't. I know we've we've maybe hurt some feelings, um, <laughs> which I always feel bad about because how do I say this? Um, if it's an author I love, 
or if it's an author whose book I didn't enjoy, I do truly believe that they had the best intentions and put in probably a similar amount of work. Um, at least I know I mentioned Stephen Hall, who's been working on a book for 15 goddamn years. So I can't say that most people have put in that much work, but I think by and large, you know, a, a year, year and a half to put together a book and you want your audience to appreciate it. I, um, I was always surprised at how many writers listen. I know writers are slash can be readers, but a lot of writers listened. And, and I think, and I, I don't want to speak for any writers, I think there was a value in there because, as you mentioned, we're the end user of the product. So what better way than to get some kind of unfiltered conversation? I mean, it, it was, I don't want to say it's always shocking. We've made some friends over the years, and I'm fairly certain that, that you know, I can, I can name five people right now that if we drop a review on their book uh, as this episode instead of a, a final episode of Booked, I know we're going to listen and I'm going to get an email or Rob's going to get a Facebook message or, or whatever about it. But there are other writers we've heard from that are writers that we've never reviewed and they've shared their thoughts on something or, or something that we've said. So um, we didn't start this podcast for, um, you know, for, for writers, but at some point we, we definitely picked some along the way as, as listeners. I, I think I said something to you years ago in an email about it's, I heard an apocryphal story about Neil Young, and I think I'm using that word correctly. I'm not sure. My vocabulary is not <laughs> as expansive as, as I would like people to believe. But someone told me that Neil Young always would take whatever he recorded, and to test fire it, he would transfer it to a cassette and go out and play it in his car stereo, because that's how most people are going to be listening to something. And I've always thought of you guys as you're the, you know, car stereo, right? That's <laughs> that's really what writers are are looking for. Um, but you 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 both have used the word intent or author's intention a few times. So before I go into that, I, I'm curious. Well, it's see, this is Rob. Little side note: this is what I have such a hard time editing my own author interviews for. It's not the author; it's my own <laughs> stammering half sentences, circling back and re, and digressions, and it's just a bloody nightmare. I'm with um, you. You have the formula for for each episode. It seems really obvious and straightforward, but the fact is, I've not heard anyone else do it. It is here's the book we're reviewing the author bio, the jacket copy, and then you go into your discussion and then round it out with some favorite quotes, which you didn't do with the handbook, but, you know, that that's cool. Um, <laughs> so first the of whole all, book, the whole book is the quote. <laughs> where, where did that, I mean, it seems like an obvious formula, but no one else has done it. So where did that come from? Um. All right, I can I can I can probably do this one. I so as I mentioned before, and for anybody who isn't a longtime listener, you happen to be stumbling upon this. Rob brought this idea to me ten years and four months ago, or three months ago, or whatever, and I said sure. And I thought, well, I'm going to talk with Rob about books. He seems like he's he's kind of passionate about doing this, and I thought this is going to last two or three episodes. But I took those two or three episodes very, very, very seriously. I probably had five pages of notes on the first book that, that we, that we reviewed. And I had detail. Some of it wasn't even commentary. Some of it was me reading from a script, something I wrote down about a particular part of the book. 
so really it was like, how do we structure this? And I thought, you know, well, how, how do I look at things like this? If I don't know, um, you know, uh, about a book, I read the dust jacket. Then I probably flip and see, well, what has this guy done or this woman done otherwise? You know, so I thought, well, let's start out with what the book promises, which is the dust jacket copy. Let's tell you who it's by. We don't have to figure it out. There's already a, a one to two paragraph copy of it. And then let's let's get into it. And it just it hasn't changed. By the way, <laughs> we kind of stopped doing quotes in books. I think it was about a year and a half ago. So I don't want you to take that personally. I am sure. <laughs> that I have notes somewhere on favorite quotes. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, the, the thing is the the formula hasn't changed. I mean, the first few episodes probably didn't have like, you know, bonus BS talk at the end about what you did this week or a movie you saw or whatever that just kind of came out of those conversations came out of the conversations that Rob and I had after we hit stop on the recording. And I'd go, so dude, anything cool this week? And he'd be like, Oh, I'm watching this great series on Netflix. You know? So we just kind of started incorporating some of that stuff into, um, into the actual podcast. And again, I've heard from people that, yeah, sometimes I skip through if the book doesn't sound interesting or whatever to see what else you guys have to say. And that's, you know, that's one of the things, our interlude episodes, which we started because if I believe correctly, we read a book that was really long. Neither one of us was done, but we felt like we yeah. should put an episode out. And uh, some people have told us that they listen to all the interludes, but only select episodes of book reviews. Or maybe they listen to author interviews, because even if it's an author you don't know, there's probably something interesting there to talk about. So uh, as Rob had said earlier, a, val a valuable product that, that uh, nobody wants, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that when we got to talking about other things or very general book discussion, that's something that can attract the ear of just about every reader. But yeah, when you're talking about it, I want to keep going back to James Patterson, but that's uh we did a couple Patterson books and and they were they were um exactly what we expected them to be. Um but not ridiculous enough that you know you'd want to listen for the mockery. Um you know, so it's uh, it's tough to say. I don't listen to a podcast that's anything like booked. I've tried listening to some book review podcasts quite frankly, because we're not doing this anymore, they're all fucking terrible. You guys should do a better job <laughs> if you're reviewing books and, and use the book template. Um, there's 10 years worth of stuff for you guys to, to draw from there. So I say that jokingly. Um, but yeah, some not of it's jokingly. really stuffy and, and terrible. <laughs> and and I, I do believe our first dozen episodes were probably that way too, until we got comfortable doing this. And put aside the fact that people were going to be listening, I can tell you, I don't know if in the last two or three years I have thought this is a product someone's going to listen to. It's Rob and I getting on, doing what we do. We're the only audience as far as I'm concerned. And sometimes I'll say, hey, listeners, if you're this or that. But really, I'm just having a conversation. And I think that's what I think that's what our, our listeners enjoyed. I'll take a quick thought onto that. One of the things going into to doing our own podcast that was really like stuck in my head from listening to other podcasts was... I hated it when people failed to inform the listener properly. So you'd have someone go off on, you know, a discussion about something with whoever's on their podcast and they're referring to things that they never set up. And that fucking infuriates me because I either have to just kind of not know what's going on or try to infer. And so one of the things for me that's always been important is talking as if I'm talking to the listener, not talking to the person on the podcast because I need them to have the proper information to go to understand. So like if we just started talking about, 
our impressions of a book without setting up who wrote it, what it's about, you know, that kind of stuff, then we're really doing a disservice to whoever chose to listen to it. Um, so that was a big, fo that's always been a big focus for me. And hopefully, hopefully that's beneficial, but I hate if there's like the, that's, that's the top thing that just drives me nuts listening to podcasts is when people don't properly set up whatever information they're sharing. Um, and then also, yeah, we decided it was important to get right, right into the book at the beginning and then any other nonsense be at the backside of the, the podcast, the episode. And that was, that was a big thing for the format. I, I think what I liked most, hang on, excuse me, let me, um, <clears throat> Rob, you'll have to clear that out. I just didn't want to mute. I didn't want to knock anything over. I think that's really eye-opening, though, because, again, if I look at you two as the car stereo, right, feedback that writers are getting, Livius, you described the formula, really, as coming from exactly how people shop for books. You, you browse, a title catches your eye, you flip it over, read the synopsis, who's this person you read the jacket flap and you make up your mind in my case i might read the first page and see if this person knows what they're doing and i go from there right so i i really like that one thing you both have touched on multiple times throughout though and this is this is what i wanted to set up for here you talk about it sounds to me like you base the bulk of your your criticism as it were on what you ascertain the author's intention to be and how successfully they achieve that. And I, it seems to me that ascertaining the intention starts with, well, the synopsis, right? That's, that's, here's what's going to be happening and here's what the reader is going, sometimes what you're going to experience and how yeah. close they come to that. Is that, is that fairly accurate? Like, am I making sense? First of all, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's tricky too because it's probably true that our impression of that intention is going to change by the time we're done reading the book, right? Um, but I think, yeah, having some... Well, that's interesting too because if we've chosen a book, sometimes we don't read that synopsis until after we've gotten done um, you know, as a reviewer. So that's tricky too. I think what Rob's trying to say is um, there are some... You know, I've always called them whitelisted authors. Um, I'll give you an example. The next Craig Clevenger book that hits the shelves, I'm pre-ordering. It doesn't matter what it's about. I don't need to read the dust jacket. <laughs> but I mean, we have a number of authors. We said, listen, these people have consistently delivered quality fiction. I don't give a shit what the next Paul Tremblay book is about. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't need to read it. And, and in some ways... I don't have expectations. So if I've read the dust jacket, I go, okay, this is what the story's doing. I can kind of predict maybe where the story's going because some synopses go too far. I mean, one of the things, so one of the things we've, if I want to say we're critics, I don't think we're book critics. I can tell you we're bio critics and we're definitely <laughs> synopsis critics. And that's... I was going to ask you about that. Please finish. But I do want to come back to that. That's one of my, I put a star beside that question. <laughs> like, what is your bloody hang up with author bios? So but please, sure. as so, you were. No, I, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if you know you're, you love someone's writing, 
Um, is it important to know what the story is about? For me, no. It's almost a nice surprise. And like I said, it's so movie trailers. Everyone's watched movie trailers, and there are movie trailers where you feel like you've seen the whole movie in in a minute and forty five seconds. So, uh, are you you know lacking some enjoyment from spending the the two hours watching the movie? Some of my favorite movies have blown me away because someone has said, "Hey, you have to see this," and I knew nothing, literally nothing about it. Maybe I wasn't even familiar with the title of the movie. I recently was recommending the movie triangle to somebody. Um, I was on like a Reddit forum and, and a bunch of people had said, this movie's great. And the one per, I won't forget this comment. The one person said, listen, you should watch this movie. Don't look up a trailer. Don't read about it. Just turn the goddamn movie on. And that's exactly what I did. And, and it is would I say. It's one of my favorite movies. No. Was it one of the most impactful movies I watched? Yes. And I still don't know to this day what the trailer looks like or what the movie synopsis looks like. Um, but had I have read it, I think it may have taken a little something away from my enjoyment of the movie. And I feel that way uh, about books. That being said, if I know who you are as a writer, I maybe don't need to read that synopsis. If I'm uh, if I'm at the Barnes & Noble or at the library or, or even just scrolling on Amazon and a cover looks catchy or a title looks catchy, I, I probably want to spend the, the 30 seconds to see if this book takes place in the wilderness or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a uh, thought on intent, if uh, if that fits, um, because that was kind of the that was the original question. Uh, intent for me, I think it's important at at the end, by the end, that you are careful of trying to understand the author's goal um, or the artist's goal. And I'm going to give an example. That is not a book, but this is an experience I had, and it was just infuriating. Um, I went to, when the movie Baby Driver came out, I went to see it in the theater with a couple of coworkers because that's something you could do in 2017. And um, it, one of the things that happened, so for anybody who's not familiar with the movie, essentially there's a part of the, the main character's storyline where his mother died, his parents died in a car accident, and his the the focus of the the parental relationship was that it was an abusive relationship and so um at one point in the movie when he's thinking about his mom the easy like sunday morning song is playing and the two idiots i was with when we were talking about the movie later they were like i don't know that sounded gross you know because it's like a story or he's thinking about his mom and this easy like sunday morning thing they didn't understand what the song was about um because the song is about leaving a relationship and it fit thematically with, you know, the fact that his mom needed to get away from the father. And in the movie, it was a very good choice, but because these two people didn't care enough to know why Edgar Wright chose that song, they had a negative reaction to it. And so like that really bothered me because I think that he did a good job of planning out how that was supposed to be. And because people just didn't even care to try and understand why that choice was made, they decided they didn't like the movie. So I feel like it's not that we owe the author, but it, we owe, it's the most honest way to take in art is to try and understand why is this the way it is. And so um, that's definitely something that I feel has come through very heavily from, you know, reading books and talking about them over the years. I want to interject and say that I, I didn't, 10 years, 10 years we've been doing this, and Rob and I have known each other probably 14 years. I did not know that he was uh, knowledgeable about Lionel Richie. <laughs> you heard it here hey. first, folks. I'm an onion. 
so let's <laughs> let's then get get back to back up a little uh, a minute because one of the things I I enjoyed the most, even though that was not your intention, I don't think, was listening to you praise or harp on author bios. Now, I kind of get it, but. I, I thought it was funny how sometimes certain bios would just really get under your skin. Like, like who, who so, is this? Yep. So the ones, the ones that are, are too short, you think, are, are too cryptic or, or lazy. The ones that are too long seem to grate on your nerves as well. So where's the sweet spot for an author bio? I'm, I just want to lighten things up because we get really heavy. And I've got a few questions here that are just meant to mess with you. And they're serious <laughs> questions, but they're much more, you know, my intention is serious, but the, but the questions are much more lighthearted. So author bios, what's your fucking problem, I guess, is really what I'm getting to. So there, there have been author bios that are no shit four, five paragraphs long. And then they read like this. It's an entire list of what the person has written. And you know what? I think if you've written three books, you should have all three of those books in your bio, and I wouldn't bat an eye. Usually that's followed by every book you've written, every award you've been nominated for and or won, and then every online publication that has ever published a piece of your work. And um, to be honest, um, we've, we've done a lot in in what I would call writing circles. So there were a lot of times where we would read a crime novelist and, and, you know, like we'd know, oh, okay, this person was published in Thuglet. Like we know what Thuglet is. The average person who's shopping for your book on Amazon or in Barnes and Noble, no idea what Thuglet is. Thuglet, by the way, a great publication. I'm not trying to slight them. The perfect author bio for, <laughs> for me is, um, uh, Livius is the author of these two books, he was nominated for one award that, you know, it doesn't say it, but that means you didn't win, right? So, but it was good enough to be nominated. Um, he lives in Chicago. He enjoys Lionel Richie and red wine. And that's it. Like, I, I know enough I need to know about that particular person at that point. When it's a laundry list of accomplishments, I, I don't know who who really cares about that. I mean, I think like anything else, if I was trying to... I'm not going to try to do it here. Good Lord. I just thought maybe I should. But uh, if I was trying to sum up my life in a paragraph or two, I don't want to list every time my boss said I did a good job or every ribbon I won <laughs> for a spelling bee. Like, and, and that's sometimes how author bios feel. I can't tell you how many times Rob's like, I cut out two full goddamn paragraphs. Sorry, yeah. you have to read these other three. You know. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's a, I think it's just because we did it to ourselves first of all let's be honest like we didn't have to read the author bios we chose to so we we, we inflicted it on ourselves uh but that being said yeah i think that there's there's definitely a, a disconnect between who's writing a bio what they think the information is that needs to be included and like i don't think they're considering often the person who's reading it like what do they need to hear in order to like uh you know have it be useful information. So yeah, we don't need your CV. This isn't your Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. That's definitely, I think one of the most egregious things because like I'm given up after two sentences. If I see it's like, you know, if it's longer than the book synopsis, I'm not even going to bother reading it. So, um, Stephen King probably doesn't even need a bio, right? But give his last, you know, either give three really well-known, you know, 
he's the author of it and the shining and whatever the new book is or something. So yeah, I think that what do the readers need to know? Like if, so here's a good example, Paul Tremblay. Um, he has, you know, what, four or five, you know, pretty successful horror books, but he's got two detective books. So like, um, if someone's reading his bio, like the fact that he has a couple of crime books, if they're not like, if that's not somehow differentiated and they pick it up and they're like, this isn't horror. I'm pissed off about this. Like that would be interesting to know, like the horror novels, blah, blah, blah. And, and the crime novels, this, um, like what's going to be useful for the person who's reading it to like understand the author. It's not going to be right. You know, the Bram Stoker nominee four years in a row. Um, because then you see nominee and you're like, well, I just read that as they lost that award. Yep. So, um, yeah, I feel like it's like often people aren't considering what information is going to be useful to like my neighbor, you know, Martha, when she's looking at the bio on Amazon. This may go back to um, the conversation we had earlier. Sometimes I think maybe those bios are written for other writers and not for the end user. I mean, it would make more sense, right? A list of online or, publications I published for because other writers have probably submitted to those. And, you know, your average reader, no idea. That that makes sense. Let's let's go the other direction. I don't think I've heard you discuss this. You may have. I know it's a sticking point with a lot of writers. But the other end of the book, um, the acknowledgments. I, I know people who foam at the mouth when the acknowledgments run more than half a page because they act they, they they think the writer is acting like they've accepted an award or something like that and they run on too long. Now, I know personally your first book I think most writers with the first book to get published feels a real indebtedness to a lot of people. I know I do. I slept on a lot of couches and, and bummed a lot of, you know, m- you know, meals off people. Uh on the other hand, Stephen Jones writes acknowledgments that seem to run five or six pages that are thoroughly entertaining on every level. So where do you stand on that? I... If you don't have an opinion, that's cool. <laughs> I got more questions. So. I have some some thoughts. Um, I, I usually enjoy those. I, I don't really – I can't really think of any example where – there was just an egregiousness to it. I think that, uh, um, I think that can be excessive. It's just a giant list of people. It's like everybody who was in every workshop you've ever been in, like that gets a little boring, but I I like it when there's a little bit of flavor or sentimentality. Like if you're thanking, you know, obviously there's people, your agent, your editor, the team at whatever, you know, publisher. Um, I like it when the, acknowledgments actually like enhance my understanding of like maybe the creation of the book, but I want to thank Dr. So-and-so because that's the person who told me you can't, you know, beat someone to death with a child's limb. Um, and that's an actual, that's real. That's a real example from, uh, Livius. What was it? Uh, the summer has ended where mm-hmm. we're not yet. We're not yet saved. saved yep. Yeah. Joey Camo. Um, so that's cool because like if it gives an insight into like how the book was created or who helped the process along, that's cool. Like that, that's a little like behind the scenes thing. Um, just a giant like brick of like, if it was like, if it's like movie credits, that's kind of lame, mm-hmm. but like if it's got a little flavor and Stephen Graham Jones, uh, always manages to almost bring me to tears with like the things he says for his wife. So I always love reading his, even if they're long, because, 
like he really hits sentiment really well. So that's my thoughts. And and he's a big nerd too. He will also mention the particular heavy metal album he was listening to mm-hmm. yeah. and the weird wildlife he saw and the old t-shirt he found that he was happy <laughs> to get back. He will mention weird, random, super nerdy, but, but very sweet things that, that all, like you said, I think en- enhance my understanding of his book. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to the podcast, I, I can't, I'm not even sure I ever read the acknowledgements. So one of the differences is that I've read author bios probably for every book I've ever read, maybe, you know, or 90, 95% of them. Um, I can skip the acknowledgements because it doesn't impact the story. So now we're just on your personal um, thing. Um, but like Rob said, I've been reading them. One of the uh, one of the cool things about reading them since doing this, and like I said, because we tend to read in in, in circles, <laughs> is you look for the shout outs, or you go, "Holy shit! I didn't know that this person is friends with this person." You know, I, I um, we just mentioned David Duchovny's book, so this one's pretty fresh in my head. Like he thanks Chris Carter for like reading his book, like being one of his alpha readers. Well. It's kind of cool. Now you know that David Duchovny still keeps in close touch with Chris Carter, who, for anybody who doesn't know, created the X-Files. You know what I mean? So you get these little connections that you can make from that that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, sometimes they're entertaining and sometimes um, not so much. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I know we've mentioned acknowledgments <laughs> because of interesting information that was added to the story or substantiated something in the story. But, yeah, I don't think we've ever had a negative word to say about them. It's nice when we are included, by the way. Oh, yes. If you do that, for sure, I'm reading the acknowledgments. I just scan yeah. for my name. It's... I've taken pictures of, of plenty of those. Yep. <laughs> so, okay, here's a lighthearted one as well. And I ask because it's one of my pet peeves. Whenever I hear someone talk about how, how much they hated a book, they threw it across the room. And every time I read that on a message board or something, I call bullshit because really? But I've, I've heard that phrase over and over again. I threw the book across the room. I have never hated something so much that I've thrown it. I, I, I stop eating. I turn it off. I close the book, whatever. Uh, does that resonate with you at all? Or have you actually thrown books before? Because I, I, I find it hard to believe. Um, I personally have not, but I read a lot digitally, which means I'm throwing a really expensive <laughs> iPad pro or a Kindle. So I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, no, I, 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 I sense the same bullshit that you sensed in, in all of those. And if you're that attached to a book that pisses you off, like find a different hobby. Uh, yeah. Like I never really thought too deeply about it, but now I'm wondering what is this person like, what am like, what is causing this person to have such a severe like emotional reaction to something like it's not the book it can't be the book it's something that's unstable in that person or they're just trying to like posture as being very um dramatic about something like oh i care more about this than anybody else did or whatever um no one's throwing books man no one no one's throwing them around unless they're like like that's don't read books then that's like you're supposed to get extreme emotional reactions to book if they're like doing what they're trying to usually. So like, and it's not always going to be something that makes you happy. Sometimes you're going to be like angry, but hopefully it's because the book wanted you to be angry for the effect of the, of, of the story. Um, so I, I guess I took that a little serious, but like <laughs> no one's, it's just dumbasses trying to like, that's honestly, um, 
there is a corner of social media that um, kind of is has always been weird to me, and it's that's it's the people who are like book influencers, like the Bookstagram people and stuff like that. I've 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 seen little like hints of people here and there, and the whole the whole idea with them is it seems like they're very passionate about being a reader like or or being being a book person more than experiencing a book i don't know there's some like weird facade that goes on with some of these like social media book people um that kind of gives me a bad taste because i think it's more about i'm in the book scene i'm 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 a well-read person and less about dude you got to you got to check this out because it's going to blow your mind. So I think part of it ties into that. I'm curious <laughs> then. Oh, Liv, you're unmuted. You're going to follow up with something or no, no, I'm good. I think Rob covered it. Well, I didn't expect him to go into the social media influencer no. <laughs> portion yeah. of it. It caught me a little off guard, but <laughs> I, I, I tend to agree. And, and I, I know what you mean too. There, there's, there's. I see it in a lot of writers. You know, I, I think there's, a, there's a lot of work that goes into maintaining a persona that that is work taken away from doing the actual thing you have the persona for. I see that a lot. Um, yeah. So you've read yes, <laughs> voluminously voraciously that's an overused one but you've read a lot um so coming from a writer's standpoint one of my one of my my particular fears is in terms of tropes right um have you seen the site tv tropes t it's really fascinating and it's it's ridiculously dense and hyperlinked so if you see something that is is fairly cliche in a, in, in, in a, in a book or a movie, you can probably find it on TV tropes. I think one of them, you ever heard the phrase, the manic pixie dream girl, it's, it's on there and it'll list instances of these flighty, you know, loving life type women that are supposed to be the muse of the guy, etc. And it'll list, it'll index, uh, examples of it in all media literature film tv even video games and it is dense and i don't think there's any way to avoid however original you might be i can promise you there are there are things that stephen hall has has done for all his inventiveness is probably going to be logged into in in trope somewhere and that's kind of that's a fear of mine, but that's just as a writer as 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 a as readers do you are there things that you are tired of seeing are there things that kind of like immediately like drop your esteem for something or are there trends or or tropes that have turned up over and over again that maybe people are oblivious to or you think they're oblivious to so I'll say that um there is, and, and I don't, like, I just avoid books like this anymore, but like the retired detective um, that took down a serial killer and now there's a co- potential copycat. I mean, like that type of thing. I, I guess in general, I like stories that are original. And um, I, I hate to take this off of books because for fuck's sake, we were a book podcast for 10 years, but I was talking about foreign films um, with someone at work recently. And the movies I named off were all what I consider 100% original 
in their storytelling. And I feel like, and, and I'll, again, I'll stick with the movie industry. I feel like in, in the United States that we're remaking the same movies over and over again. Sometimes we're not even pretending we're just rebooting a movie and telling the same story with different actors. Um, so from a, from a trope standpoint, like the first guy that told a story probably told a really original story and maybe the second and the third. But at that point, the hooker with a heart of gold comes in, right? Like you've just used this and, and now, you know, down the line by the 50th story, someone else says, well, if we had a hooker with a heart of gold, that would be really good in this. And by the fourth or fifth time it happens, it's a trope. So I, it's hard to tell um, stories that are, you know, have 100% originality throughout, but it's what you do with the rest of that story. Um, for me, I want to read something I've never read before. That's the goal. Now, that's the goal for a thought-provoking, deep book. Now, if I want to pick up a book that's just kind of funny, I just want to read good jokes. Like, I get it that the characters are all going to be kind of like people that you saw in The Office. But is the humor good? Is is the plot um, woven in such a way that I'm going to giggle um, four times while reading this book? Like, that's that's fair enough. But if I'm looking for story story, I want it to be different. You know, I... I think back to Chuck Palahniuk and Fight Club. And when I, I actually saw the movie Fight Club, went back, read all of Chuck's stuff up until that point, and then read Fight Club. But I thought each one of these stories, at least to me, completely, completely original. So if you're writing a book about the retired detective who's going to come out of retirement because uh, there's a serial killer copycat on the loose, I have seen that on 50 dust jackets, and I'm not, I'm not interested. So tell me something original. Tell me something I haven't heard before. And that's the quickest way to earn my high praises um, as a storyteller. So, yeah, I, I feel like there are some things. And I don't know if I can call out specific things that I've seen multiple uh, you know, examples of throughout the time we've been reading. But there are things that just seem like they're lazy um, like one of the first books we reviewed was this like action, like, uh, action-y kind of book. And it was just, it, you could tell that the author just wanted to cram in all the action stuff you'd see in a movie, um, to make the book exciting. Um, but also read the Da Vinci Code and thought, oh, let's make it about some historical thing. And they just kind of wedged these things together because they thought it would make a compelling story instead of, you know, challenging themselves to say, like, well, if I'm just doing the same thing over again, like, how could I make it, you know, not seem like I just copy and paste stuff from other things? Um, and I, I don't know. There's some things that I think just could could stand to be retired, like um, sexual assault in general being used as some sort of like catalyst for things going on doesn't, I mean, it seems like it's something that's kind of becoming lazy. Um, like, I, I, I don't know. There are some things that just, they've been done so much. It's exactly what you're saying, but I can't think of specific examples. What I will say is, um, I, I think the biggest thing for me is, um, seeing this, a part of the story that is, just obviously only meant to prop up or support a thing that you want to happen later. Um, and it's just obvious. Like sometimes there are characters and that's fine. Sometimes there are characters that are just like, Oh, this person exists so that, you know, so-and-so has a reason they did this. That's, that's fine too. Like sometimes characters can be 
I guess in, in gaming terms would be more like an NPC, right. Than an actual like main thing. And I think that's cool. Um, but sometimes it's just lazy, like, Oh, there's a problem. And my answer is I'm going to make the sheriff say this one line that doesn't make sense at the time or whatever. Um, that being said, I will say that sometimes, uh, authors can, um, kind of, you know, blow our expectations out of the water. Uh, there are times where something that seems very cliche is turned around into something, um, way more original than you'd expect. So like I just held up, um, Kiss Me Judas, which when Livius pitched it to me, he's like, yeah, this guy wakes up in a bathtub full of ice and his kidneys are gone. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking read this. <laughs> but then like he kind of pushed me on it and, you know, it ended up being something that I enjoyed. So I think that you can, you can turn a trope to make it something good. But um, yeah, it's not, like it's when it's there, it's obvious that it's just a lazy choice or it's a, it's a bandaid on something. Um, so I wish I had better strong examples, but yeah. What's what's interesting about the the Kiss Me Judas example is, yeah, people could recoil at this trope, but in fact, Chris treats it more like a prompt. I mean, it's the opening chapter, and after right. that, it's it's done. And by the way, the the trope in the in the TV tropes index, what you mentioned, somebody doing something just for the sake of of propping up a future plot device. That's called the idiot ball. It's when 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 a character and it's I think it's a, came from TV writing when when some character has to do something grossly out of character just for the sake of of, of the story working. It, they, yeah. they call it the idiot ball. Um, there's probably a name for these other specifics, but the one I can think of I see over and over again, and it's usually comes deep enough into the movie that I'm already committed versus the first few minutes. But anytime, uh, uh, Livius, your, your detective who's retired, but come out <laughs> to find the serial killer halfway through, when I see this person come home, close the door, take off their gun, put it at the side table by the front door, and then wander through the house unarmed. We know <laughs> that somebody's waiting or, when the character goes back to the crime scene or the bedroom or whatever, and the parent gives them permission to, well, you go ahead and take a look, or maybe they cut through the tape and sneak in, and they find something that all the dogs and, <laughs> and UV lights and squads of, of crime scene techs missed, I find that infuriating, especially when it's, uh, something hidden in a toilet tank or behind a picture frame. Yep. <laughs> you know, the thing that occurred to me too, as we're talking as three guys who um, have read a lot of books, who someone who has written books um, in TV, it's a little different. Cause I think a lot of people watch a lot of television, but it, it started to occur to me that the average person, if we took everybody and averaged it out, we have to assume that it's like one book per year, right? It's gotta be like a ridiculously low amount. So None of these are book tropes. If you're reading 20 books in your lifetime or 40 books in your lifetime, when you're reading 30 books a year, man, this stuff starts to show up. And, and forget the fact that we read 30 books a year. I can't imagine how many synopsis we went through to get to those 30 books. So maybe we're reading 150, 200, 250 synopses to, um, to cull 30 books from, from that pile. 
Um, I don't know. I think about Hallmark movies. I don't know if either one of you have had the pleasure of watching a Hallmark movie. Um, I have had the pleasure of watching parts of numerous Hallmark movies. And all of them <laughs> have the exact same premise. And for some people, that's like a comfort. It's um, the big city girl has to go to a small town because there's something going on with the family. And she falls in love with the innkeeper. But she really has to get back to the city. But through the course of 90 minutes, she has changed her mind, fallen in love with the innkeeper. And she is going to run an inn in a small town. Somebody who's listening that watches Hallmark Channel movies goes, oh, God, I wonder which one of these four movies he's talking about based on that <laughs> description. And that's, you know, so there's a there's a comfort level there for them that probably exists in fiction, too. Um, not everybody takes in fiction books um, the same way as as other people. Um, like I said, for me and, and I think for Rob, too, originality is a is a huge, huge part of of the enjoyment level. I thought of one. I thought of a, and this is this is definitely not necessarily book specific, but something that happens a lot in books. Unnecessary character flavor, if that makes sense. Like, does he need a stutter? You know, like, is there is is a is a mental condition something that really, like, I feel like there are those types of things that happen often when someone's trying to make a character more interesting or more unique they add quirks that are just frivolous and i feel like that's something that is pretty common that's that's good to know on on a number of levels <laughs> um as a writer uh let's do i have a lighthearted question before i can jump into this i need yeah real quick i'm, I'm curious again because i'm I'm coming at this as a writer and you guys are the people who have the, the reading skill set I'm going for. And, and so I have found and this kind of dovetails off the trope discussion. I spent more than a decade working in high tech. I had a front row seat for the first dot com, you know, bubble and burst. Um, I was in it neck deep and yet I cannot write about technology. Um, I just, I just can't. It, it, it's too easy to have something robbed of of drama when somebody could simply pull out a cell phone right and and email a picture <laughs> instantaneously or look at where they are on a map so n naturally we have the obligatory scene usually in a horror movie or a thriller <laughs> where i can't get a signal but that aside, I just backdate all my stories. The handbook would not have worked right now <laughs> in 2020. It just simply wouldn't. Have, I'm not saying that people don't forge identities, but but it, I couldn't have had that story. So how do you see you know technology emerging and affecting storytelling? Some people adapt to it brilliantly and can use text messaging and those sorts of things to really underscore a plot but I find it really difficult. What, what have you noticed? Have you seen anything since, since say the iPod or iPhone came along and, and how that's affected storytelling? Um, yeah, I think this is, and this is probably something that people will probably identify really well with um, movies. That is a, it's a huge topic because there's people that are going to do it well, and there's going to people who are just going to fumble on it. And um, I think that the can't get a signal thing is, is absolutely one of the most 
rapidly developed tropes that's ever existed. Like, how do we get rid of technology? Because people are going to say, why didn't they just make a phone call? Um, uh, yeah. Um, I would say that I think the most egregious technology um, uh, example for, for writing or for books or for story, I guess, storytelling in general is the hacker can just do what the hacker needs to do. Um, uh, you know, and, and it's a tightrope because you don't want to get too technical and take away from the story you're telling, but you don't want to under explain it and lose, like lose your, lose your narrative or whatever. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's challenging because it is every part of our lives now. Right. Like there's there, what aspect of your life besides like in the shower. And you know what? I listen to podcasts while I'm in the shower. Um, it, it isn't kind of somehow touched by technology. Thanks for that visual. That's it. Now I'm not going <laughs> to unthink that, but I, I listen to my that, own right? podcast in the show. <laughs> oh, but only, only ones where you're a guest, Craig. So now you have added another 90 <laughs> minutes of that. shower yeah. time to, to rob something. Yeah. Now I need a Silkwood shower. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad that you said it. And I, I, I read the contortious handbook originally, um, I, uh, quite a few years ago. And I guess I didn't think about it being dated to today, but there are times around the podcast I've pointed out, we'd read a crime story that takes place in the eighties or in the seventies. And I've said this only takes place in the seventies because this could be thwarted by a phone call or a, a, a ring doorbell or, or whatever it is. Um, I think people have to, you know, you tell the story you want to tell. Um, for me, again, it all goes back to relationships and stories. So I could read a story set in the 1600s or one set in 2020. And if, if the, the, the character development and the relationships are there, I, I'm likely to enjoy it. Um, there are great tech books. I can't, none come to mind. Dark Matter, I guess. Blake Crouch um, was, was pretty heavy tech stuff and handled really well. Um, I remember, I wish I could remember the name of the movie. Rob might be able to help me out here. Was it called um, Friend Something? It was a whole movie shot as a group. Unfriended. 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 Yeah. I mean, you talk about taking technology. I mean, they basically took a Zoom call to a two-minute movie and made it pretty intense and, and, and exciting. And, you know, but that's that's probably a one and done. I, I don't think you can pull that off six different times and still have people paying you, um, you know, whatever, 12 bucks to go to a theater and see that or, or video on demand. Um, it's going to have to evolve like everything else does around technology. Here's a there's an insight that a friend of the podcast David James Keaton had at one point, and I think he was more explaining. He was he was work he was getting himself out of shit more than anything. But he <laughs> said like the character can be wrong. It doesn't mean that the author is wrong, but the character can be wrong. And I I think about that a lot. Like just because the technology exists to like change the outcome of a situation doesn't mean that everybody in the book is going to understand how that technology works. Like, um, to think about, you know, baby boomers right now, you could, you know, if your characters were of a generation that didn't grow up with the technology of today, they're not hacking into anything. There's actually like a really good episode of justified, which, um, I could talk about that's, you know, maybe, maybe I'll start a justified podcast now, uh, where like this guy, he's been in prison for 15 years and he's broke out. So he can like dig up this money that whatever, 
Um, but he's talking to someone and they're like, how are you going to steal a car? They're all like, you know, they're all super technology now. And how are you going to break into houses? They have these sophisticated alarm systems. And I thought that was great. I thought it was great that this guy was thwarted by the technology because he didn't understand it. And I feel like that would be a refreshing kind of perspective is like, if you're writing a story, you have to take into account, like, what do the characters know about the technology? Like the, the fact that it exists is one thing, but is it useful? I feel like is another like layer to that. Um, God, so many thoughts. I remember back to look television and we're talking tropes and technology the night of, I don't know if you saw that short series uh, on HBO, I didn't see the whole thing for some reason. I watched most of it. <laughs> I really liked that. I mean, I thought it was amazing, but it was, if you step back, it was a whole bunch of tropes that we've seen. There, there's really very little that was original in that story. It's just that it was done so well. It was executed so flawlessly with the one exception that you, you have to you have to buy into the premise that this guy with his iPhone was lost in Manhattan. <laughs> simply yeah. couldn't use his de- if if you if you allow that everything else makes sense if you don't allow that then this is not going to work for you mm-hmm. um there was you mentioned unfriended there was a series i can't remember it i think it was netflix maybe hulu uh, a series of of short horror films like 10 minute horror films that were based on maybe i think it was a reddit thread called two two sentence horror stories Mm-hmm. And there were a few yeah. of them that that you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. I know of the series. I didn't watch it though. There, there was a, a, at least one, I think, more than that, that that dealt with technology very well. That were entire stories told on webcam. This is pre-pandemic, so it was it was really really you know innovative. Um, yeah, I think Black Mirror too. Yeah. Like- uh, I could rant <laughs> for hours on how. F- fucking much i hate that show i am i am the lone voice in the wilderness on that so we're just going to gloss over that and that's for another discussion um yeah i just i always made a note i said it one time during a panel discussion you know with the possible exception of the matrix cell phones are not noir pay phones are very noir and yeah (laughs) and i think much like much like having relationships having constraints in a story is you know obstacles and so having to be at a certain place and time with this apparatus to make contact with somebody is is part of the constraints that technology kind of does away with um what i'm waiting to see if we're asking me and nobody did but i'm running this i've got the wheel i think what I need, you know, maybe I'm just talking to myself here. Maybe what I need to consider is the inefficiency and the breakdown of the most bleeding edge technology. I remember a friend and I were out one night. This is up in the Bay Area in, in Marin, like in a sleepy little uh, town north of San Francisco. Late one night, walking past, and we saw uh, sparks on on a on a on a the neon sign of a closed store. The sign was off and we saw sparks and a little trail of smoke. So we said we should, we should call. And we called 911 and said, it looks like there's an electrical fire starting at this store. And it, we were on the phone. I was on the phone, my phone for a good 10 minutes, at least trying to 
described this fire and the dispatcher said well can you see flames no what do you see are you sure of this and that is there any structures nearby and i was then bounced to another dispatcher because my cell phone went to some giant Mm. dispatch multiverse i don't know before they eventually routed me answered asked a bunch of questions and routed me to the same to, to the to that jurisdiction, that municipality's dispatcher, who then you know bounced me to the proper fire department. So maybe instead of saying, "Oh my gosh, I have no cell, cell signal," you can have the chainsaw killer like cutting down your door, and you're calling nine one one, and it's maybe just not urgent enough. Maybe they ask yeah. you too many questions, or say, "No, this is the this is the county. You know, you're outside the county limits. You need to call this number or something." I don't know. I avoided asking you questions this whole time, but now I have to. Do you think that whatever the 2020s are the death of noir? Do you think we can't have a noir story that takes place in today? I I, I don't think it will ever die. I, I think there is there is enough abject cruelty and and failure in in, in human nature and the human race to to not somehow try to shine a light on it. It's just going to be shining in a different way. But I don't think it'll ever go away. This whole time, I really don't. This whole time, I've been thinking like, what's the most recent like set in a current time noir thing I've seen in the movie Brick is all I could think of, and that's got to be fifteen yeah. years old now. Rob, right? Yeah. I know you're a big fan, Brick. At least fifteen. Yeah. yeah. There, there was one. Uh, it was again. It was a movie. It was a horror movie, and I'm trying to remember. I think it was called Amber Alert. I think it was a group of kids who see, who think they see a car whose plate matches an Amber Alert that went over the freeway signs there, and just like I was describing with, with the dispatcher, they have the same kind of headaches, you know, delays, bounces, and and all sorts of things, and they end up following this car for, for the length of the movie, and it was really kind of weird and well done. I, I don't think it's going to die. I just think it's going to have to change shape. I just don't think I'm the guy to do that. Um, and, I, and And I admire people who can artfully work technology you know cell phones text messages emails and such because to me those are instantaneous and they don't involve a personal connection i like two people in a room locking horns or or somebody who's got to who's got to somehow jump through hoops find a payphone at an, at the nearest off ramp and make a call for me that that works i don't know how to adapt maybe maybe i will someday but right now i don't think so you know, you've been you said that earlier too, and I keep thinking there was a movie back in the nineties, probably in the early nineties, and I wanna say is it Greenpeace? Are they the people that try to um like expose torture by countries and stuff? Am I even saying that right? Am I on the right Amnesty International. Amnesty International. So they made a movie. I think the entire movie has three actors in it, and all of it is an interrogation of a if I'm remembering correctly, because now I'm going back 30 years, an interrogation of a children's book author who they said was using their children's book to pass messages to the uh, resistance, the rebellion or, or whatever. And I, I wish I could. I'm going to look this up. I'll, I'll shoot you an email because if that's your thing, I remember really enjoying this movie because it takes place over the course of 
you know, again, 24 hours or whatever, and it's literally an interrogator and a prisoner who's a children's author. Interesting. Interesting. There's Hard Candy. There's another one oh, yeah. that I think was a modern take on Death and the Maiden, uh, that movie based on the Ariel Dorfman novel. Um, let's, let's steer it back. We've gone, I mean, I can go as long as you guys need me to. I don't know how much we, we still need to cover. I've I've got more questions, but I don't know if you want to make this a two-parter or, or how you're going to go about it. That's your problem. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Let's just keep rolling. I'm, I'm, my night is cleared, sir. I have to be at work at 8.30 in the morning. So if we can be done by 6.30 so I can get a shower and a bite to eat, (laughs) we're good. So what, I, I guess aside from... Aside from not liking wilderness books, like have <laughs> have there been aesthetic differences or stylistic preferences to reading that that have have kind of overlapped or conflicted over the last ten years? I mean, where do you you're always reading the same book? But I'm curious. I've never got a sense of of where your your differences in reading lie because you're always talking about the same books and I get hints of your preferences but but not really like like what's mm-hmm. what's the biggest difference in how you approach books or what you like in books I'm going to let Rob go because <clears throat> for listeners I can see the two of them on video and he was nodding his head like he had somewhere to go with this and I'm I'm not quite sure Okay yeah I um that you know what that's I hadn't ever really thought about that, but that is a good point. We do have like our own personal reading preferences that probably don't surface or are not apparent to the people who have been listening to the podcast. Um, I never really thought about that because like when we're talking to each other, we know them, but you know that's something we never really, I don't think, spent a lot of time talking about um, outside of you know the occasional. Uh, you know, reference we might make to something we're reading off off the podcast. Um, I know that I'm going to give Livius a lot of credit. First of all, um, many of of the books that I have read that have endured as some of the best books I've ever read have come as recommendations from Livius, including Condorcinus Handbook. Um, basically, you know anything from you, Craig, or Will Christopher Bear, Stephen Graham Jones, That Door Was Opened to Me by Livius, um, Ross Texts we talked about earlier, that was recommended by Livius. So um, a, lot of, a lot of the books that have become really important to me were things that Livius had already read. And I think that when we started doing this, he was at a level that I had not made it to yet. I, I tended to be very... Uh, I'd find one author that I liked and would just kind of read everything there, but get stuck and not know how to find new stuff. And Livia seemed to be more of the person who would go to the library and pick up the book and read it. Like we were talking about earlier, read the, read the information and decide I'm going to give this a shot. Um, so I think that my approach was, was not as adventurous as Livius and, and therefore he had read a ton of books that I hadn't even known existed as far as preferences go, um, I I definitely I can call out specific authors that um, I am into that I don't think Livius would necessarily go for. Um, I'm a big Douglas Adams fan, 
Um, and then kind of by association really enjoyed PG Woodhouse's books about the character Jeeves. Um, and I feel like those are a little bit more comedic and whimsical, but also like with Douglas Adams moving into the sci-fi realm that Livius does not care for at all. Um, so yeah, like I think that there's, but then there's also, I think Livius is a little bit more open-minded, um, about, um, some other types as well. That, that book anxious people that didn't sit well with me was that's an author that Livius has read several books from and really enjoyed. And I probably wouldn't pick up another one. Um, yeah. So I tend to really get a lot out of books that, that challenge you and make you work for, uh, understanding. And, um, I'm not saying that Livius doesn't, but I know that that is not necessarily his cup of tea. Um, so I'm just giving impressions of what I, what I, what I perceive to be our differences. Uh, but like, yeah, I think we've kind of found things together. And then there were some gems that I had read separately. Like I gave Livius, um, shadow of the wind by Carlos Ruiz, the phone. Um, and he eventually read it and loved it. And so I was like, that's a win for me because usually he's the one bringing all the excellent books. Um, but those are kind of the examples I can think of off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, tons of credit to Livius. He is much more like diversely read than I am and, and brought really important books to my life. Aww. I, I said, you know, even though I'm almost a bottle of wine in right now, <laughs> I said I wasn't going to get all teary-eyed during this final episode, but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold to that. Um, yeah, so what Rob said, absol- absolutely right. Um, I I think I mentioned earlier foreign films, and, and I've turned... I, I treat fiction like I treat movies now, like it has to be offbeat. Um, absolutely Shadow of the Wind. If Rob didn't mention it, I was going to mention it. It is currently, if you ask me what my favorite book is, it's The Shadow of the Wind, which Rob, for I think three years, told me I should read, and, and finally I did. Um, we were talking earlier, and I'm pretty sure this might have even been off this episode, about Paris hotel rooms. Um, if you want to ingrain something in your mind, do it in a Paris hotel room. That's where I read the the majority of Shadow of the Wind. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, where, where we differ, um, yeah, Doug, sci-fi is, is, is almost a no go for me. There has to be something really special there for me to read science fiction. I'm very similar. In, can in can the you, fantasy can realm. you expound on that? Can, can you go into that? Cause I'm, I'm curious about sure. that because Brian Evanson, for example, um, obviously was one of the exceptions you made mm-hmm. but i'm curious what is it about that genre that that, that and i'm not criticizing nope. your 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 resistance mm-hmm. because there are things that i just won't read by default as well but but what is what is your resistance to science fiction um although i enjoy uh, the structure of a story the world building that goes inside a story if you want to set a story five ten years in the future i'm on board um, i really liked we re- reviewed both of blake crouch or two of blake crouch's books i really enjoyed them they're probably sci-fi um, what sci-fi <laughs> means to me um, typically and again I've, I've read synopses we've been pitched to do sci-fi books via email we've been sent them directly by the publisher and it's always in this world and there are these creatures and you know what i just don't want to put in the work i don't want to learn about <laughs> 10 different races of creatures and these planets that don't make sense so i like my stuff grounded in reality if you want to move it forward a few years and it's a logical leap from where we're at in technology so you want to introduce ai into a book 
I mean, we're, we're starting to live with AI around us. I don't necessarily consider that science fiction anymore. I, I consider it a, a fairly logical progression um, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Um, I think it's just too big of a world. Like, I don't want to spend... And th there's a reason why science fiction books, like like true hardcore science fiction books, are all 700 pages. Because it's going to take you 250 pages to set up where the story's going. And that's just too long for me. <laughs> I've never had a love for that. It's the same thing with fantasy books, which, you know, typically get lumped in with sci-fi a lot. You know, it, it's it's... I don't know. It's just it's too much work and it's too far from reality. Um, that being said, kind of an answer to maybe to your question a little bit earlier. I also don't like my books too real. Um, I like them to be, like I said, a little bit off the beaten path. Um, I don't want to read something that's ripped from the headlines, um, which is a tagline we've actually seen on books ripped from the headlines. Like I'm not interested. If I'm interested in something ripped from the headlines, I'll turn on the TV. I'll watch a newscast. I'll read a couple of articles on the internet. So um, for me, books are an escape, but sci-fi is too far of an escape um, for me. And that's that's kind of how I treat I mean, famously on the podcast, I dog sci-fi every every single chance I could. That being said, we did read a couple books that were sci-fi um, that, that were okay. I'd call them sci-fi light. But when you start, when your stuff starts taking place on other planets with, with you know, other races of creatures, uh, I'm pretty much checked out. And Douglas Adams never read it, but it's not really on my list. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> Dude's brilliant. I had a fantastic conversation with Brian Evanson about touching on this. Uh, I don't know if you listen to those or not, the, the recordings I, I, I have of the workshop, but um, I was curious how he is able to do the opposite of what you're describing, Liv, how, how Brian can, can imply an entire world without world building, like on the scale of, say, George Martin. But reading a short Brian Evanson story, you can you get the, the sense of this enormous context that is very unlike our, our present-day reality, and he does it with a few pen strokes and manages to stick to the story. It was a fascinating discussion, and I learned a lot from him. I, um, I don't consider Brian Evanson science fiction. I mean, first of all, and, and no offense, Brian, if you happen to be listening, I don't think he's put out a book that's more than 200 pages. So, like you said, it's so condensed that you can get the idea very quickly. And, and for me, that's perfectly acceptable, uh, you know, for, for something that I would read. Plus, he's a super, super talented writer, which doesn't hurt. Yeah. It doesn't hurt even a little. <laughs> uh, like, you know what you're getting with a Brian Evanson book or um, a book of short stories, which I've read, I think, two of his now. I'm not a huge short story guy either, but, but he does a very good job in, in compressing a story down into 28 pages or whatever, I don't know, 10 pages, whatever the average is. So... I know there are some things you guys want to touch on that are back to the to the more beaten path stuff that are necessary for this this <laughs> euthanizing of the podcast but let let me go big and touchy one more time and then we can we can kind of get back to familiar ground. I'm curious with all the cancel culture the kids are talking about these days. He says phrasing it like an old man. In, in terms of people who are offended by things or who write offensive things, and of course, offense is is largely subjective, but at the same time, there is there are plenty of objective criteria for for what would be considered 
you know, taboo material. Um, so I'm not sure where to go with that, but, but I know it's, it's, it's a good vein to look into. Um, let me ask you, have you ever been like personally, like really offended by something you've read, something you just thought was completely over the line? And you don't have to name names. I'm just curious. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I, I already know Rob's answer, but if he doesn't have to name names, um, no. Um, <laughs> here's, here's what I will say. Um, books are an escape for me. I prefer my books to be fairly politics-free, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. So a book that, that heavily leans into, and this, this could be ripped from today's headlines, which I mentioned a little bit earlier or whatever, it just doesn't work for me. Um, there's enough real life in my life that I don't need to go to a book um, to to read about it. Um, as far as anything I've read that's really been offensive, other than you know shitty prose or, or bad storylines, no, I don't. I don't think in the 300 plus books we've reviewed that I've ever felt offended by anything. Um, but something Rob said earlier too. You know, if you're going to take, if you're going to glorify. Um, and and even I was gonna say if you're gonna glorify violence, but I guess we did read some um, some bizarro books that absolutely glorified violence. But again, like their intent was exactly that. Like you knew what you were getting. So no, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna say no. I have not read anything that has personally offended me um, during the course of this podcast. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna say the same. I can't think of an example that I was just like, oh fuck this, or that went too far, or anything like that. Um, I I mean I'll address so it, it, it's an interesting topic as far as like the I guess politics of things or or, or talking about um to to counterpoint I guess Livius is and I'm not putting words in his mouth but like the whole like keep your politics out of my book thing like did they say that about Animal Farm or you know 1984 like there's some books that like the whole idea is I'm teaching you a lesson about something about society and that's why the book is good. So um, I feel like uh, I'm trying to think. All right. So I, I'm thinking of a recent example and this might not play because I'm not super um, uh, read up on, on the whole controversy, but I remember recently there was a book that was getting tons of acclaim called I think American Dirt and I don't remember the name of the author but it was a woman and she was writing I think about um it was about um uh migrant workers she was yeah. writing about like uh uh yeah and the criticism was this wasn't there there were other books written by either migrant workers or people in that community that were authentic and true and this was like some basically you know white lady writing about something that she had no personal connection to. And the fact that, you know, the one that got, you know, all of the attention from Oprah and all these things was the one that was like the inauthentic one. Um, and so there was uproar about that. Um, and I, I would say that a lot of people were offended. So uh, I think that if there was anything that would be close, it would be the offense of like right now, representation is something that is a really big um, conversation and it's a necessary conversation um, for like pretty much any artistic medium. And like anything, it can be taken to extremes on either side, but um, that I, I would say that now 
seeing stories about books, like the biggest trigger, not trigger, but the biggest um, thing that I would focus on as being like, well, that's kind of shitty would be like those types of situations where representation is, is manipulated or misunderstood. I know that Stephen Graham Jones got a negative review for the only good Indians because of the title. And it's like, you didn't read the book. You don't understand why that's the name of the book. Like, and you're lecturing this person about it. Um, so inside the books themselves, the content of the books that we've read, I feel like we haven't really experienced that, or I personally haven't. Um, but the context of, I think the publishing process is probably more of the, like the Rocky road right now. And, and not only did that, uh, reviewer miss the reason for that Mm -hmm. title, but we don't know where they're coming from. That's an anonymous, like Amazon review, but Stephen Graham Jones can identify as one of those people. However, the bloody heck he wants to Stephen Graham Jones, you know, and he's full blooded Blackfeet. He refers to himself as Indian, not indigenous or native. He says Indian. And, uh, so I think lecturing someone, you think I'm going to tell a black person, no, excuse me, you're African American. I would be <laughs> rightfully punched for that. It's not yeah. up to me. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's, it's, and it, Stephen was so, so kind because we asked him about it and he kind of brushed it off. And I, I didn't, we didn't ask to like incite anything, but it was, it was just a really interesting, you know, thing to, and then to have access to the author to ask him what he thought about it was, you know, one of the benefits of doing this podcast, not something that um, everybody has uh, the opportunity to do. There, there's a Twitter feed I follow called men, right? Women. <laughs> and, and it is, it is just one. It's just people post examples of passages f- uh, from, you know, fiction, from male writers describing women and and it's sure it's offensive and even if you want to brush that off the fact that it's so narrow um the descriptions of breasts are are as far wide-ranging as they are stupid um not to mention a lot of complete lack of understanding of anatomy in a lot of cases, or very often it'll be a crime novel or some sort of thriller where they're describing a dead woman and describing the dead woman's breasts. It just goes on and on. Now, you can push back on that however you want, but what I can tell you is if you read books by women writers and how they describe women or they describe men romantically, or especially when the woman writer is writing from the point of view of a man, you don't see anything sugar-coated or sanitized or in any way dumbed down. If anything, the, 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 the descriptions, the accounts are much more authentic and well-rounded than just simply zeroing in on, on the boobs. It's, it's quite eye-opening, and I, I, I encourage people to do that, to, 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 to read books that are written by women from that women's woman's point of view and and you'll kind of get a better feel for where the offense lies it's 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 not so much that it's pornographic as much as it is it's it's just narrow and limiting um 
which is a fancy way of saying objectifying, but it's not a matter cleaning it up and trying to not be offensive doesn't mean stripping the, the guts out of your work. It, it just makes it more rounded and authentic. And I could go on for a while about that because cool. it's, it's, it sounds really vague right now, but that's what I've learned reading women writers describing men or women writers writing as men describing women. It, it gives you a very, very different perspective. Look, you just said a lot of really interesting things and I can't get over like I'd like to see <laughs> your internet history because you just follow some like there's TV tropes. There's this like I, I'm, I'm very curious as to what a day in the internet life of Craig Clevenger is like. It's it's not that interesting. And <laughs> and uh, one so of my one of my fellow library employees is just calling BS on all. She goes, all you writers, you always say things are for research. I think that's just a scam. So you can look up how to hide bodies and, and things like that. So uh, I want to I want to jump in that thought that you were having, though. Um, I feel like that you see you can't if. if I guess me and Livius can't avoid, and I'm sure anybody who's a writer can't avoid seeing the writing advice out there. Um, and like, I always love it when I see people tell someone to read, like read outside your genre or read the thing you're writing or something like that. Um, because if you're going to create something, you might as well just at least take a shot at authenticity and um, I feel like that's something that is easily learned by just kind of experiencing what's out there. And I understand there's probably the fear of tainting your own work or something like that. But like if it's research, like that could be very helpful. And um, yeah, I mean, you can tell when you're reading something by someone who likes to watch like just a ton of Tarantino films and you know, like if there's feet show up several times in the book, you know, the, the, it, it, and, and instead of like approaching like a diversity of, um, of, I guess other, other writing, you just kind of stick to like the, the dude bros that you like to, <laughs> that you're comfortable with. I read a lot of Bukowski. So now I'm a writer. Oh, Rob also turned me on to Bukowski. I just wanted to throw that in there. Some good stuff there. Um, I think yeah, I think men watch true. too much porn, and I think all their descriptions of sex acts or women are are, are, are drawn directly from that. And I say that half jokingly. Um, and I don't know. I don't want to judge what the sex life of the average um, you know writer is, but it or think about it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But you know, I, I again, it's 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 tough to say, and I think that. Um, you know, when you're reading a book, especially if you're reading it critically, um, those things will only hurt the writer, um, you know, from as far as, you know, what the review looks like or, or f you know, quite honestly, fuck the review. Like, am I going to spend another nine ninety nine on your next paperback? The book that Livius mentioned that he would say I would I would list as offensive, which I'm not going to name. Um you're the one doing the editing, so yeah. like you don't have to, you know. Uh, I think was the the most kind of egregious example of just um, doing the thing for the thing instead of doing the thing for the story. Um, and yeah, there was that was probably the example of the book that was most likely to throw actually physically throw 
um, if it wasn't an ebook. Um, and, and I feel like that person either glorifies or somehow like idolizes um, specific things that don't help make the story um, creative or, or unique just makes it more of like, Oh, this is just kind of a sleazy couple hundred pages or whatever that I've read before. I can't help but throw a deep cut into this. I want you to know that we reviewed a story called back during the brat. And that's not, (laughs) that's not what Rob is referring to. Yeah, I just wanted to get that out there. So for longtime listeners, they'll be like, you're talking about that weird, almost incesty story. No, no, that didn't offend Rob as much as, as this other book that he's talking about. Well, let's 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 go to some lighter things. I know there's there's we've been at it for a while. I'm curious um, in terms of familiar territory that I was I, I wanted to avoid that I know you did too. There there are some obvious there are, there are some big points that as as we as we you know shoot this podcast in the back of the head over the sandpit, um, you know, speaking of tropes and that little illusion right there like the whole mobster movie hey it's nothing personal it's just business i've never understood that how is that make if someone's got a gun to my head and says this is not personal it's only business like i don't care you're going to shoot me how does that soothe how does that make anything better i've never understood that like oh well thank god it's not personal see yeah yeah, I feel so. like Rob and I could go in a different direction on this. I totally understand exactly that. It's it's so we've talked about it and we keep coming right intent. So the intent, Craig, is um, for some reason I feel the need to put a gun to your head. I love you as a guy. You're a great guy. That being said, there's something that's bigger and more important. So I want you to know if it wasn't for this thing, you and I would sit down and we'd have a drink. Unfortunately. This is how it has to happen. I think Rob would would disagree with me on on this. Um, I have a thought. Okay, but you've actually given me a different, per, actually a, a, a perspective that may have nudged my opinion on that a little bit. I'm not sure my reaction would be any different. No, yours would for head, sure. But, yeah, no, but, I'm, but yeah, but again, I mean, my yeah. intent is um, typically you said mobster movie, right? So that's always money or not being arrested right. or, or whatever it is. And if that to me is bigger than my relationship with you, then I want you to know it's not you, buddy. It's me. This other thing is more important to me than you are, and it has nothing to do with you. Right. All Rob? right. So I'm going to use the example of the movie Gross Point Blank. Have we all seen it? Yes. I, I loved it, so I may be yeah. the dissenting voice here. So no. Uh, so this is this is what I thought about. So there's a thing that he says throughout the movie um, to the people that he's hired to kill, and that like when they say, "I'll do whatever you want. I'm, I'll never do that thing again," and his response is, "It's not me." And that's like his way of saying, like, I'm not making the choice to kill you. I'm just the dude who's doing it, which is kind of what we're talking about here. But at a different point in the movie, he's explaining how he got there to the love to Minnie Driver, the love interest. And um, one of the things he says is that everybody finds their own rationalization, whether it's like, you know, doing it for your country or they just like to do it. But every everybody um, like finds a way to explain to themselves why they're doing it. So his is the, it's just me, I guess, or whatever. Like you could kind of fill in his psychology about it, but even though he does that thing, he admits at a different point in the movie that like 
it's just an excuse and there's an other reason that you're just not letting yourself know about. So I feel like that's the, that's the cheat to, to, you know, really owning up to why, why am I a guy that's getting paid to kill people or whatever? So with, with that note, like, where, where, what, what have I missed? What do you guys? Because I, I, I know, like I said, we're gonna, we're gonna shoot this thing over the sand pit here. Um, what, what do you want to touch on specific to the podcast that maybe you know an obvious thing, but still needs to be done? I think you mentioned earlier a few, like some stats or high points, anything like that. I think that um, we probably need to take a few minutes um, to kind of go through a list of people that we need to thank. Um, so 10 years, you, we talked about acknowledgements earlier. So I have 18 pages of acknowledgements that I'd like to go through now for everybody that's listening. <laughs> <clears throat> First, I'd that's like good. to thank my mom for having the, <laughs> the, the foresight to have me so that I can do this podcast. Um, early on in the podcast, you are going to, you're going to do this for a while. It sounds like you're serious. Oh no, I'm definitely serious. No, I I have, I have, I have a relatively short list. So, um, and, and and there's a number of people that need to be thanked. So, um, I want to thank early on, um, we had contributors and it's something that I don't want to say we moved away from. I think it's just something that didn't continue to happen and it's not something we sought out, although I'm absolutely sure that at any point we could have reached out and had contributors. But um, I want to go through some names that that, um, were around um, a long time ago. So if you're a newer listener, most of these won't mean anything to you. Um, Malaz Corbier was somebody who submitted content to the the episodes um, in year one and probably year two that was... uh, Really brilliant content and something I absolutely looked forward to. So, Malaz, if you're hearing this, thank you so much for your contributions. We had uh, AAA, A. Adam Otten, who submitted content also <laughs> that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I mean, this, needless to say, Brayton Cameron, um, as multiple different personalities. <laughs> Skip Papersley, probably the yeah. most familiar to listeners. Um, Adam, whose legs don't work. Um, for the stuff that made it onto the podcast and for the, you know, words of kindness outside the podcast were always, um, great to have. Um, I thought about this one earlier. If it wasn't for Pela Via, we probably wouldn't have published a book. So Pela, if for some reason you're listening, thank you so much. That's something I, I don't know. I can't speak for Rob. I'm unlikely to ever do again. Um, so it was definitely a, a highlight. Um, Jesse and Misty, who are our permanent co-hosts and uh, and close friends of ours, who always brought, I'd like to say, a little levity um, to what we did, and and not that we were ever super super serious, but having those guys around was uh, was so much fun. Um, and then I want an apo- I want to make an apology, a, a public apology. Um, I'm going to add Amanda Gowan to your list. Oh, and absolutely, and Amanda Gowan for sure. Um, are we missing anybody else? Chris Deal. I guess we could throw in there. Uh, what about for... Ryan? What about your marketing intern? Oh yeah, Ryan, ah, fuck that guy. Intern. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. The guy I mean, remember yeah, yeah. How, is, yeah. how is? Thank that? you, Jesus. Thank you. He Ryan. just didn't market himself effectively enough, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, that guy's like publishing a book. I'd like to think that we had something yeah. to do with that. So you know, um, I want to apologize to super listener Thomas Joyce, and I say this because, um, and I, I <laughs> oh, said this is great. I said that we were going to talk about this um, a little bit, so I want to make sure to cover this. Um, the decision on this podcast came, it's got to be almost three months now, Rob. Is that pretty close? Two and a half months? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and shortly after that, we announced that we were closing our Patreon. Um, and, and we said something, and, and everything we said was true. I want you to know we did not lie 
at all, listeners. We said we have enough money to keep this podcast up and running for years. Um, and that's thanks to our Patreons, who I'll thank separately, or maybe Rob will thank separately later. Um, Thomas Joyce reached out with a message, and I don't I don't have it pulled up, but it said something like, Oh my God, when you mentioned it, I thought you guys were ending the podcast, and I'm so glad you're not ending the podcast, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I couldn't. I think I replied with like a thumbs up or a, or a thank you for your support kind of thing, because I couldn't bring myself to tell anybody that the podcast was coming to an end. So Thomas fairly certain you're going to hear this you have my deepest apologies in retrospect the right thing would have been to tell you and let you in um, (laughs) on it Um, that being said i chose not to do that and as you guys can hear we chose not to really tell anybody except for a very small circle of people um, until this episode posted so that's like kind of round one of thank yous that i wanted to make sure i got out of the way because all of these people contributed thomas joyce included Um, contributed to this podcast in ways that I don't know that um, they remember or really understand what it (laughs) meant to Rob and I to have those types of people supporting us along the way. Rob? Um, Well, see, now Livius did the selfish thing and he did all like the ones that are easy to think off the top of his head. Uh, I would say that anybody who has appeared as a guest, so that includes every author, um, Craig, you specifically joined us for two different reviews. So you co you co-hosted a couple of episodes too. So, and, and obviously we love you enough to give you the reins for, um, this final episode. So, uh, you know, and po- be the guy that shoots the podcast in the back of the head is well, okay, it's nothing well, I'm, personal, I'm touched. Right? Yeah, and it isn't. It really isn't. It's <laughs> hey, it's it, it's not you guys. It's the podcast. It's bigger than all of us. Le- here, it's Lenny, so. Lenny, and and George, right? Isn't that the, right. the yeah? Like yeah. Let's just look at the rabbits. Just look look ahead. Look, look straight ahead. Uh, think of the rabbits. I'll tell a story. I don't know if I've told this story here on the podcast before, but um, for sure, one of my top five moments in this podcast, and the first such moment was you agreeing to do an interview um, back for the for the. Um, Oh God! Is, thank you. This is this is what a bottle of wine Ooh. does. Um, we got a ton of people back accepting, and I saw yours, and I don't know that I'd been happier than seeing that email. Um, so that was like the first like really wow moment for me on this podcast nine years ago. So this is this is for me. You're the perfect person to do this. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and I think we had a conversation because I believe you were one of the early responses, and. Um, the, the whole idea was like you were the one where we're like yeah as long as we get him we're good and you were you answered so early we're like well i guess we're good but they, they kept pouring in so it worked out nicely but um uh yeah there I, I think that there's a lot of um there's a lot of just people who anybody i can't tell you how many times i had people um who like i work with or something just give my podcast a shot and then tell me later, oh, I listened to this episode. It was really interesting or something. Like those little boosts were so cool because we really do this in a vacuum. And so when I would get feedback from a random person who took the time, just taking the time to listen for an hour to two guys talk about something um, that they chose to put in your ears is um, is really awesome. And um, so those little moments were the boosts that kept me going. Um, those little kind of just unsolicited efforts so there's thousands thousands there's hundreds there's probably a couple dozen people that did that um and it it really those individual moments were really cool um 
I just want to make sure we cover the, I, I feel like I could, I, it's been a couple hours more than that. So I think, you know, I think my, my, I don't know if I have the drive space to keep recording, but I feel like I, I we we could keep going for another couple hours. So I don't know, but I <laughs> I, I, w- I want to make sure that uh, that that the essentials get touched on. The obvious one is okay with it, without booked. What what next? How much can you? I mean, what are you guys going to do then without booked? I mean, there's a lot of people out there right now that feel like they're being broken up with. I think so. Mm. What's yeah. what's oh, in the future? We could also maybe touch on like just a if you want us to give general advice to readers who want to be better at reading, like kind of that theme you were talking about earlier. Yeah, like yeah. we could do a quick little something about that. I thought that is yeah, yeah. Well, let's start with that. I mean, that's actually I, I made a couple of notes to that effect. But if you see the way I keep notes, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me when I try to backtrack, you know, and see what would I mean here. But but the whole aim here was talking to it you know two people treating your reading like a a you know a craft that you have pursued and your audience are are people that are trying to be as good so we always ask you know what advice to writers but what advice do you have for readers i mean what nuggets of wisdom can you mic drop with well uh, you know and especially i think our conversation has highlighted this or or brought it into like you know sharper relief just the idea of, um, you know, um, know what you, I I guess, know what you want to get out of the reading experience. First of all, sometimes you're just going to want like something quick and entertaining. Um, but if you intend to connect at a deeper level with the book, you have to, you know, there's some, you know, there's some give and take to that. You have to be open to trying to understand what the author's intent was and intent was, has been a big theme for us. So um, in addition to understanding the story and enjoying it or not enjoying it for whatever reasons you do, like really trying to understand what were they going for? Did they accomplish it? Um, and, and, and weighing your opinion against kind of what your best estimate of what the, what the idea of the book was, I think is the best way to be honest with, yourself about the experience because um it's an entirely different story if you just to think if you just think all right this book's going to be this so it better be that and if it's not it was a shitty book um the author always has some sort of goal or i would say almost always maybe sometimes they're just trying to make a buck um but that's that's real cynical and probably very rare um so understanding and weighing how you felt about the book versus what the author was going for, I think is just a better way to have a, a, like a healthy relationship with the thing that you're reading. So, and then just do it. Like, um, it's just, like I said, muscle earlier reading muscle. It's absolutely true. The more frequently you read, the easier it's going to become. And the more critical and thoughtful you are about what happens, um, the more you're going to retain. And, um, it's just an overall deeper experience. So those would be like, those would be the highlights for me of what I think is, is what I've learned from doing this. And in true booked fashion, Rob went very intellectual and I'm going to go a little lower rent. (laughs) Um, Find someone to share these books with, Um, join a book club, find a buddy, have a 
fucking Starbucks meetup every two weeks so you can talk about the book. It's it's rewarded me greatly. Um, I'll be honest. Um, I'm, I'm struggling. Like, how am I going to read books now and not not have this? Um, so I, I think that that will um, improve your experience. I have a note for writers. I've been thinking a lot about this. So, um, you know, and when I look at Amazon reviews, there's, you know, um, a bunch of fives. There's some fours. There's some ones hated the book, threw it across the room, right? Um, listen to your three-star reviewers. Because if you can move your three-star reviewers to four-star reviewers or five-star reviewers, you've got the people who love you and are going to say great things about you no matter what. Listen to the people that didn't hate your book but have some criticism. And if you can improve on those things, you're going to move the middle of the pack up, and that's not going to hurt your five-star reviewers. They'll wish that they can give you six stars um, if you can listen to the people who... You know, enjoyed your book, but had some issues with it. Like, fix the issues, and you'll move that middle crowd. You're never going to make the one-star people happy, so fuck them. Forget about it. Um, but try to improve the, the the people in the middle, and that's that's where you'll be successful. But if you're a reader, find a book club. Uh, contact your local library. They have one. Go online. It can be a Reddit forum or, or whatever. But I, I will tell you that you will enjoy... If you enjoy reading now, you'll enjoy it a hell of a lot more when you have people that you can talk about it real time. Someone that finished the book, you know, the day you did or the day before you did. And it's going to, it's going to improve people who read as much as, as Rob and I have. They consider themselves readers. Um, if you're if you're a reader who reads one book a year, yeah, don't bother. Enjoy your book. Enjoy your beach read. You read it on your vacation while you're sitting on the beach in Daytona or, or whatever. Like, that's fine. You don't have to search this out. If you're someone who's reading 15, 20 books a year, find someone to do it alongside. It, it will it will better your appreciation of, of the craft. Well said. Your book club could be a podcast, too, but we have a whole different, like, raft of advice for that. Yes. I've always said that... Uh, a good critic is somebody you wish had been an early reader or an editor. And a good yeah. editor is somebody you're really glad is not a critic. <laughs> that's that's how I've always approached good. And, and Vanessa Veselka said it very well in my discussion with her. She said, if it makes you want to write more, then it's good feedback. If it doesn't make you want to write more, it's not good feedback. I've always liked that distillation. I like um, that. Yeah, that makes sense. So what happens next? I mean, you guys are going to keep reading, but what are you going to do? I mean, can you talk about these things or, or not? Do you have any plans? Or I do have something coming later in this year, 2021. Uh, it is not 100% solidified, and I don't want to talk about it until, uh, you know, it, it is properly introduced and everything. But it is a podcast that um, I will be at the helm of and um, definitely book things are the hundred percent focus of it. So I think that one of the things that ending the podcast is giving us an opportunity to do is take the time, but also take a decade of experience podcasting and being in the publishing world and seeing how can we apply that, you know, differently with our own, you know, unique flares that maybe didn't fit into what this podcast has been all along. So I'm looking forward to, having the opportunity to explore that with this new venture. And that's probably going to be closer to the fall before I'm talking about that. So I have a summer of doing stuff, which is exciting. And I'm going to be doing, I'm putting up some archival 
YouTube videos uh, for the podcast. So Booked will continue to have new stuff posting, at least on YouTube, for a little while while I catch up on some stuff. But um, yeah, I do have a new thing that I will be announcing, um, uh, you know, probably sometime closer to the fall that uh, will be different format, but still books. So people will be able to hear my velvety voice soon enough. And very briefly, I should uh, backtrack a little bit. You mentioned the, you know, archival stuff. So, so the booked episodes you've recorded, those those will be accessible for the indefinite future, correct? That's true. Yes. So, um, as Livius mentioned earlier, when we when we you know had an, a lie of omission to our Patreon supporters, um, we have already paid for the domain for the next five years. And, um, you know, that's the plan is five year. Here's the thing. It is just shitty when an artist has something that they've done, just fall away from the internet. So if someone was just counting on the fact that they like to point to, Hey, check out this interview that I did. Um, it would be really bad if that just suddenly disappeared. So, um, for like, literally archival reasons the podcast will be available in every way it is now for yeah the foreseeable future so what's up live after this i want to say that i am as excited about rob's future endeavors uh, maybe even a little more than i am about mine if i'm being honest so um i believe when people can hear this there will be so I'll, i'll go back a little bit um you know we came to this decision Um, It took me about two weeks to realize this was going to leave a hole in my life that I wasn't sure how I was going to fill. So what did I do? I'm going to fill it with something not terribly dissimilar to this. So um, first edition podcast will be available um, at least as a placeholder um, when you're hearing this, but with um, probably shorter, more succinct episodes um, coming very, very soon. As a matter of fact, I expect there will be one sometime in the next 10 days or so. So I'm going to continue to try to keep booked the spirit of booked alive um, for a little while, and uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. But I, I already have um, uh, a couple of uh, interviews lined up and and a couple of short book reviews. Uh, primarily, this will exist on YouTube, um, but will be available in audio format. Uh, hopefully, if Rob provides me with the entire list everywhere that booked is available, because I don't even know where the fuck you can find booked. <laughs> I know it's on Stitcher and Podbean and and Spotify, but. <laughs> Um, so I'm intending to to kind of um, continue on in a in a mostly solo format, and we'll see what that what that evolves to. But it's a it's a next step, and uh, I'm excited and terrified at the same time. So if you want to support one of your favorite podcasters, um, he'll be up with something in the fall. But until then, if you have a second favorite podcaster, I will have something up in the very near future. <laughs> first edition, that's what you're calling it. That is correct. Am I correct? Yes. yes first okay. Edition. Cool. I wrote a, when I was a book reviewer for the local independent paper for 4th of July, I did a book review of the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Um, I went full frontal on the politics with this one. Um, I was quite happy with it, but the headline, the title I gave it was Rare First Sedition, which... I thought I was patting myself on the back for that one, That's and somebody slick. at the paper changed it to inalienable rights, like R I T E S. And I, what, what, why? So, oh, I, um, I just want to clarify: can't. it is first edition, E D I T I O N. Just, just in yeah. case. Um, 
So yeah, I, not A D D I T I O N. Yeah, exactly. It's a ma- it's a podcast <laughs> about math. We're going to do the numbers every week. Um, but I guess before and we not- go, I mean, I just I don't know, man. There's like this thing. This wouldn't have existed without people listening. So um, I want to thank our Patreons, who I've said before, um, made this so much easier. The financial, um, uh, you know, burden that they put themselves through um, donating money is the reason that this podcast will be up at least five years. Rob and I have talked off the podcast. It's uh, I find it hard to believe that we don't foot the bill for eternity um, for this yep. because it's something that was absolutely special to to Rob and myself. Um, but I want to thank all the people that listened. And before we go, I mean, I want to thank Rob. None of this would have happened without him. He did a lot of the heavy lifting, and, and this was his idea. So I don't know um, who I would be if he didn't say, hey, let's do a podcast. But I certainly wouldn't be the person that I am today. Jesus, how do you follow that? You don't. That's why I did it. That's yeah. Oh, come on, come on. Bitch. We've been doing this for 10 years. You didn't expect that? Uh, that's, yeah. I, um. I, I guess I'll get a little sentimental and talk about when the podcast started. Um, me and Livius were both going through some like kind of personally dark times. Um, and I won't go into specifics. That'd be weird. Right. But um, this podcast was for me in a lot of ways, it started out as a distraction um, and it started out as a way to kind of fill some emptiness. So it has a real kind of like, emotional personal origin um but the outcome is that it it changed it changed us it changed me into a person that i was not before so like much like livius was saying and i mean livius gives me credit for having the idea but that foundation was livius's knowledge and experience and and um the the stuff that we talked about the books that we found, the authors that we cared about. I mean, that was, that was a hundred percent. I, 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 I built the building and Livius filled it, you know? So, um, I think either one of us, if we tried to do this on our own, it would have been three episodes. And it took the fact that I, you know, I was annoying enough to push him into doing it. And he was well read enough to, to make it land well, um, so it absolutely is something that could not have been done any other way. And I am 100% a, a different timeline, Rob, than I ever would have been in any other situation. This, this podcast has absolutely defined who I am. So barring, <clears throat> barring your future endeavors, where do people find you in the meantime? Live, I don't think you're super out there on social media much are you i'm not i've basically abandoned social media i screw around on instagram <laughs> a little bit because i like the pretty pictures i'm uh, livius n on instagram um i do believe okay. that um if you're following any of the booked accounts i do believe that both mine and rob's future endeavors will show up on those um okay. so you know stay tuned there for for future stuff Rob, what about you? I know there is the booked podcast, Twitter feed, and, and Facebook stuff, but what about you? Anywhere people can find you? To... Yeah, actually, um, I'm kind of, I will be going through a little bit of a social media kind of shifting. So um, for a long time, I've, I've had um, social media accounts that aren't specifically my name, um, but I, I own 
like Rob Olson on Instagram and Twitter and, and all that stuff. And so I will be doing those um, just because now I will, you know, like booked was always an entity and that was the identity of it. But now that this is changing um, for the sake of, of being easier to find, I'm going to be R O B B O L S O N everywhere, but that's probably a little ways down the road. So um, yeah, we will, like Livia said, we'll steer people from the booked accounts to um, our awesome, um, you know, things that we're doing in the future. And I'm sure that we're going to cross promote each other like crazy. So if you find Livius's thing, he'll promote mine. If you find mine, I'm going to be amplifying his as well. Um, all right. Any last words? Um, Craig, I want to thank you for doing this. I said it earlier, but I, I, Rob pitched the idea of having somebody else, um, help us close this out. And he threw out a couple of names. And the first thing that came to mind is Craig is the only one I'm saying yes to. So thank you so much for helping facilitate this. It's been my grim pleasure. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess we got to say the words, right, Livius? I don't know who says them. Do we say it at the same yeah. time? It's weird. I was thinking about this earlier today, which is silly because I'm almost <laughs> 50 years old and I'm thinking about who's going to say the same words. All right. So uh, thanks for listening to Booked. Uh, until the next endeavor, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep, Keep reading. reading.